Hello everybody, welcome to episode 21 of the World of Brickfilms podcast. I am your host, William of IW Studios. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Sean Willis of City Panther. Hello again. And joining us today is Harrison Allen of uh, Annoying Noises Productions. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Darkmoor. <laughs> welcome to Darkmoor. Welcome to Darkmoor. Yeah, welcome to Darkmoor. <laughs> that word, <laughs> just welcome to Darkmoor. It's just, no, seriously, sometimes I'm just in bed and all I hear is welcome to Darkmoor inside my head. Just welcome to Darkmoor. Just being whispered over and over again. It's been like that. Um, for years, actually. How does it feel to actually have the film released now after so long? It feels so good, just amazingly good. Although I'm at a point now, you know, right when it comes out, you know, it's great. It's, you get all those comments and stuff. But then, as time goes by, they sort of go down over time, and it's like, oh, I've got to make another film right now. I've got to experience <laughs> that again. Yeah, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit annoying because you know when the comments come in, you know, they start coming. It's loads of them, and then. They just sort of start going, and then you have to sort of slowly accept, basically stop now. Well, you get everyone once every once in a while, but not I, as often. I was wondering how soon it'd be too soon to ask about what might be next. Well, I have made um, probably half or over half of Red Order right now. So, like, because I actually made that earlier this year because I felt so confident at one point. It's like, I could just make an entire film right now in just a few days. It's like, okay, maybe it's not two days, maybe a month. Okay, maybe two months, and I realized, okay, I've got to say drop this right now and mm-hmm. finish Darkmoor first. And I did that at the right time, perfectly the right time, and finished Darkmoor. And there was a little bit of crunch like in the last two days, but for the most part I actually got to maintain a relatively leisurely pace and I like that. So that that's, was pretty that's, nice. That's nice, right? I mean, and of course it, it is nice to have a deadline. Yeah, because I realised, you know, if you don't have a deadline, you just you don't make things as fast as you really should, and that can be really annoying. I think that if I had a little bit of longer, the only thing I probably would have done is like a uh, remove some dust from a few more shots because i did that for a few shots because some really really bad specks of dust i mean you can let some dust stay but some of them are just like really really distracting and sometimes you just really want to get rid of that so um how much do you have to do in the last sort of like months of production well there was a big gap so i'm gonna go and overlay this whole year so this whole year um at the start of the year i had already done half of the dream sequence um, that was already done before this year even started. And you know, sometimes it's new year starts and you're just like, I feel really confident about doing these things. And it, you know, every year I say I'm going to finish Darkmoor, but every year more Darkmoor is done, so it seems even more achievable goal. And I had so much time, you know, because I just had half of the dream sequence to film that I thought, you know what, I'm going to do reshoots. So I reshot a whole lot of the film, actually. I don't know how much I reshot, but I still did reshoot a lot, like um, probably over a minute's worth of footage, maybe more because I just wanted to make sure it looked nice. So um, the first thing I set out reshooting was several shots in um, sleep, sleep, when the sleep encounter. Yeah, that's where I reshot. I reshot a lot of shots there because I didn't actually do red light for some of the shots where he's looking at you are the stranger. And I realized that's actually not really right because there should be light. (laughs) No idea how I decided to do that in the first place, especially when I looked at it in sequence, but I'm really glad I did that because um, I think it look, just really makes it so much better. Yeah, so uh, how how did you exactly kind of pull off the uh, red overlay? Uh, how, how was that kind of process done? The red light, it's annoying to do. It's annoying to animate, and you can make a mistake, and it makes you have to redo the shot. But besides that, it actually... I've started to, I started to realise after I did it a lot. I said it was really hard in my update video, but then I started doing it more, and I was like, you know what, this isn't actually that bad, because you just have to take two frames. 
you have to take one with um, the red light on and then one with two lights on. Color the red light frame red completely. Set it over the other frame and then just set it to color and it's done. But you do have to do that for every frame. Um, there might be a way, the correct way to layer something in Premiere to do them all at once, but I haven't really found that. Another way you can do it is some shots actually um, use slightly different methods. Sometimes you can take each um, light individually and use screen to put them on top of each other. But the thing about that effect is that means you, when you're animating it, you have to turn off both light sources and that's more stuff you're having to do more actions so it increases the time of the shot so usually I don't use that method mm. yeah and were there any shots that were just grayscale bricks and red bricks only um most of the shots of the phone are actually the actual color of the phone preserved in the film uh, because I just really wanted the phone to be red and for the static shots it's just ridiculously easy all I have to do is uh, <laughs> Um, just make it so the color around it is really completely gray and make it show the red is pure absolute red um, The hard part though was when she picks up the phone and I was actually going to color it by hands before But then I realized oh, I can't actually do this. That doesn't look right and it was taking too long. So I had Sebastian help me with that and For that shot um, where she picks up the phone and there's one other shot where she looks down from the phone and looks kind of at the screen or at the poet I suppose um, and for that one, she actually has purple hands. Her hands are purple. It's, um, I ripped them off of my Lego Magneto figure so I could stick them on her. Um, and it looks terrible in color. <laughs> there was one version of the film, actually, and I, I hadn't had actually applied the effects yet, and, but I still put the shots in. And it was really funny because it made it look like when she grabs the phone, it's just she's in color and her hands are purple for some reason. <laughs> it was, it's just really funny to me. Uh, seeing that the phone in the script actually was originally the only thing that was supposed to be read or the first thing that's read it actually says like in the script it's unlike everything in the rest of the film it's red rather than gray the, something very close to those exact words and i decided to make sleep be red later when i actually built him and realized i could put the light inside of him hmm. that, is, that is really interesting actually yeah yeah i think the the red phone was like um, one of the like parts of the film that really stood out to me in terms of like the the color because it's like it, it's so kind of clean and sort of crisp it, it works yeah. really well but it's, it does use a different technique because it's preserving the color of the bricks yeah um, the only other sort of thing like that is the vest of the poet which is um, red and the title which is red all the other red light effects are all light sources which is slightly different for the title building up I manually colored them, which took ages. Like, um, I remember one year, I think it was 2015, maybe. I just spent a whole lot of a summer just coloring him in. And I was just doing it going for the static frame of the of just the letters by themselves and they're fully built. And it took me weeks to do that over a few months. And I was just, I was done with it. And it's like, this is terrible. I'm just going to put this off for a little while. And it was at the start of this year, actually, that I finally finished that shot. I took that frame and then I erased little parts of it for each frame. And that took a really long time. I'm not sure how long, how many hours I spent on that one shot. And then, of course, when you watch it back, it's gone in, in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about that, though, that makes me... I'm still happy. That's, that actually took one of the most time to animate, too. Um, I actually think, I think it was worth it, though, because I think it, it really stands out to have a, a standout title card like that. And sometimes there's something in films. You know, I, I think of my films a lot for how they're presented on YouTube. I mean, I want to make them look good for YouTube and such. And I want to stand out to other YouTube videos, too, but... 
When you start up a film, because you look at the stats on YouTube, and most people don't watch a full movie. They watch like a few seconds, they tune in. Only like half of people are still there to yeah. watch the whole video. And then less than half tune away at the credits. That's how it is for almost every video I've uploaded. Some have better or worse view retention. When I make that sort of stuff at the beginning, I just think, okay, this is the first thing someone's going to see, so I need to make this really look really nice. So if I had actually had enough red bricks, if I had shot that with red bricks, then it would actually have been a lot easier to do. And I would have loved to have done that and saved so much time. But I, and I originally tried to build it with red, but I just didn't have enough. But I had plenty of dark gray, so that's why I did it with dark gray. I, I do think that's a really good point about making a good impression at the start of the film. Yeah, especially yeah. since it's actually a little dull leading into it, honestly. <laughs> Um, also, my lighting wasn't as good because the first start of the the start of the film that's when I you know was just starting out. So I feel like I sort of changed lighting just a little bit where I could still get with it. Sometimes I was a bit disappointed with the lighting scheme I set up for the start of it, but you know it is it is what it is. Showing that like having that sort of title sequence was a really good decision because I think it establishes that whole like you know the the red like elements um, yeah. really early on. Yeah, and I like to um, think of the stuff it shows like. The location is nowhere in the movie. It's just some place that I just built that sort of have some place to put the title. It took me a while to decide what I was going to do for that, um, and I feel like the skeletons are kind of you know foreboding. Like that's what's in Welcome to Dark More Skeletons, and I did end up putting a lot of skeletons in the dream. You know, like you're saying, like you start of a year, you kind of feel have a really got a good feeling about like oh, I'm going to get this done, kind of thing. Yeah, and especially since it's something in October, which is yeah. the later half of the year, it's just like yeah, I've got time. Generally, kind of like the start of the year is when I kind of think about like what I'm going to do like for the next like twelve months. Like you know, you have this sort of plan. Like yeah, you have a plan, and it feels <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like it's like a New Year's resolution of films, and then when it gets to like March, and you think I actually have I've done absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden it's October. oh, but March was actually when I was feeling the best. March is when I was just so confident in myself that I decided to make Red Order. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. So that's like two sides of the same coin if things actually turn out well. Yeah, for for me right now because I have such a limited amount of like spare time like in, because of university. Like right now, mm. I can I can't really do anything, and so like, uh, you you start off January thinking having a really good feeling, you know, and you you have like the the sack, and then you know you do all that kind of stuff, and then you kind of realise that once that month's gone, you're not really going to have much time for for months you know and then like all you want to do on your break in your break is just do nothing <laughs> yeah yeah speaking of motivation though um last year's brawl which was the first brawl i had entered for a while i wasn't going very fast before that brawl happened i still always animated at least one shot every month through this entire five years because i didn't want to completely stagnate i did kind of stagnate sometimes but i just you know it's like even in the times where i'm not doing much so just forced myself to do it i remember one I think one month, like, I really didn't want to do it, and it's like, it was the end of the month, and I was getting sick, and I was like, nah, I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, I hate animating while I'm sick, usually. Uh, but after I did Brawl, I just felt kind of good, you know, because I sort of got into the flow of things a bit, and that's when I started doing the dream sequence, and I did a lot in a pretty good sh good, good span of time, which felt nice. Yeah, Brawl and Tech can have that effect, you think, you can do anything. <laughs> Sometimes, though, I can be like, I want to rest for, like, a really long time until you end up doing that. I think yeah. for Bro, I took one week break and then I was at the end of the week and it was, I just went back. I went back. Yeah, I think like I, I find that um, in the long run, 
Braun and Zach can be quite big motivators because you kind of just like, I don't know, I think it's a really nice feeling. You know, you start off the week and you you, you know um, if all goes to plan, there's going to be a brand new book film out, you know, next week kind of thing. And yeah, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it's, just, it's I think like, especially when you're working on something for a really long time, it's so nice to kind of like take a little sort of break from that and just like make something and release it, you know? Yeah, because... All of my Brawl films, besides uh, the first one, Odoriferous, were made during Darkmoor, actually. And it was a nice way to get back. So I'd have something to put on my channel. Yeah. And in some ways, I wish I'd gone in all of the Brawls that happened during Darkmoor, but I only think I got maybe three. It's hard to remember. And I think it's nice to get a reminder of how it feels to actually release a film and get some nice comments on it. Yeah, it does feel nice. It really does. Also, it's just so weird when I worked on Darkmoor for so long and I do one of those films and I, it's, whoa, I'm actually doing colour. I can do things in colour. I can use <laughs> things like blue and yellow and green. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like that stands out especially in We the Pumpkins 3. I feel like that's one of the best uses of colours I've ever had in a film because I took the colour mod and I just tried to put it everywhere because I wanted to embrace it fully. The red lighting, you could definitely do that in a brawl film. And I might do that one day. Yeah. Make a brawl film and have sort of a Dartmoor aesthetic. Not something that takes place in um, the Welcome to Dartmoor world, but just another. Because I actually kind of want to do that. I want to, one day, I think I want to make some colour films first. But I kind of want to go back to that sort of aesthetic. Because I feel like with Welcome to Dartmoor, I actually barely scratched the surface of what you can really do in a grayscale brick film. And I just want to explore more of that one day. Or maybe even with different colours, maybe even not red. I think something that would be really cool is something that has green and has that ghost. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I mean, I think because you've made a film with that whole kind of goal in mind, I think once once you kind of like do it again, you're going to be much more like confident in doing it. Yeah. So I think you'll definitely be much more kind of like comfortable and kind of like, I suppose, just more relaxed about it, I guess. Something I did during, um, well, pre-production making this set is I knew that I could build some things that I couldn't normally build, but... The color, the set and color, it's actually not too weird looking. It is still weird looking, and I would never have it pass in a film, I think. Not a film by me. Um, because the ground is green in some places, and then it's gray in the others. But besides that, things look pretty normal. Like, the shop is mostly a normal color besides a single green tile instead of blue tile on the roofing. And uh, the church is just gray, as you'd expect. But some of the stained glass windows are a few co weird colors. But it's mostly pretty normal. Have you posted any colour pictures of the set? Yeah, I've actually been meaning to, though. I was thinking of saving it for my behind-the-scenes video, so it'd be a kind of, you know, exclusive. <laughs> okay, yeah. I kind of want to reset on Halloween, actually. I think that'd be good. That sounds like a good stuff. idea, yeah. I think, it, yeah. I think it's probably good to release behind-the-scenes while there's still some buzz surrounding the film. Yeah, I do not. Like I don't want to waste too long. I was kind of taking a break. And then I decided to go and... I'm, like, I was writing a bit and organising some stuff. And then I'm showing this is really long, so um, I'm going to have to trim it down a bit. Like, the stuff I was planning to say in it. Um, or else it's just going to be so long. Yeah, I do I think very very concise and fast behind the scenes is the way to go. Especially yeah, I still want it to be somewhat in-depth. Um, I feel like I did a good job with my update video. Because I'm approaching it a similar way to that. Like, I really cut down a lot of time and made it only two and a half minutes long. Which I think is pretty good for an update. Speaking of Brawl... Uh... It's been a while since you entered Attack, so I was wondering if you have any thoughts about the next one. Attack's a young man's game. <laughs> That's true. I'm too old. <laughs> Unless you want to find somebody to team up with. It's just it just stresses me so much, and I'm just like, 
I don't want that much stress in my life. I might do it again, maybe. Uh, but I'd have to feel really, really, really confident about it and feel really prepared. My computer now, um, I upgraded it recently and it's actually a little bit faster. So editing wouldn't be as much of an issue anymore. So that would be nice. That's good, right? Because, yeah, I know what that's like to have a, a computer that's bad for editing and you're trying to render uh, during <laughs> pack and it's going wrong. Yeah, I had a lot of issues the night before, um, but I got it out in time. Yeah, I think you really want to make sure that, like, with Thack, that you got, like, a, your computer is fully updated and kind of, like, running normally, because I've run into some problems in the past where it's, you're trying to install updates, like, as, you, as you're starting Thack, and it's just, like, it, it really can end up making you sort of, like, just not be able to make it in time, you know? Yeah. I had this thing uh, for a while where my computer just kept, like, just turning itself off and like restarting by, you know, by itself and that was actually during Thack and I was literally kind of like about two hours away from completing and I literally had like one shot left to, to shoot and I had like I'd lost like loads of stuff like things I hadn't saved oh that's terrible yeah the no, the, the animation software I use it actually it used to have this problem uh, before before an update uh, but I think it's now it's, it's much better but it used to be where like if you didn't save it then the actual file was like corrupted, and I literally had to put all my all the frames onto a new new like uh, file, and I lost like about two hours worth of footage, and yeah, it was a real mess. <laughs> so for Dartmoor, I was just always afraid about horribly losing everything. So I made backups all the time. Like I take I put whenever I take new frames and put them on the computer, I put it onto an external and I unplugged that from the external and put it away somewhere else just to make sure they're all nice and safe. That's a good idea. I certainly have to back up my footage soon. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, that's every time I put, for Darkmoor during the later half of it, I did it because I was just like, I do not want to lose any of this because I'm going to lose all my <laughs> motivation. Like, I don't even want to lose like one set of shots or something. I don't want to lose anything. So yeah, I did that. And so every time I put frames on the computer, of course, I don't always put frames on the computer because I still animate manually, which is, oh, somebody's printing something. Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just animate with my camera. I don't use software or anything. So I just animate them on my camera and then I just stick them onto my computer once it's getting kind of full. Yeah. And that's it. Probably not the best method, but it's what I'm used to. I think once you kind of get into the habit of... Uh you know, backing up uh, stuff on hard drives, you kind of, um, you, you, you always just, you just always want to, like, just for peace of mind. Yeah, it makes me feel so much better. I'm just, yeah. you know, sometimes I think about things. I use, sometimes you think about, what's the worst thing that could go wrong? It's just like, well, if it goes away, it's, it's, at least there's something. There's something there, so that's nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just couldn't imagine not doing it now. Like, I have two hard drives, so sorry. Every time I've done something, I always save it on both. Mm-hmm. Because I think once I had a problem where my hard drive actually died. It's actually never happened to me, which which is probably pretty lucky. Never in my life I've had a hard drive fail on me. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah, but don't get complacent. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm constantly afraid of it. Still, I suppose not right now since I just got a new one. But I suppose it still could happen. Yeah, it is something that I think I always get paranoid about. Kind of like you know, you do have like years worth of work, and then like. The, the prospect of, of losing it all could have just, like, it, it could destroy you, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I even think about, like, a sort of more worst-case scenario. What if the house burns down, so it takes the hard drive and the one I have in that drawer over there? 
Um, so sometimes I'm like, so it's part of me wants to take it, put it in a metal box and bury it outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'd actually like to, uh, if, if I ever get the opportunity to meet another brick filmer in real life, I'd like to copy my brick film collection onto a hard drive and give it to them for somebody else <laughs> to keep in a house somewhere else. Oh, I actually, um, I actually told Sebastian, just, you know, I, you get afraid about little things like this. It's like, it just gets to you. Um, when I was making Dartmoor, I was actually afraid, like, and it was just a small little thing, but wouldn't it be terrible if just somehow I accidentally died before it came out? Like, that'd be pathetic. I mean, <laughs> you know, just, I think um, people might even know about it, but I told Sebastian to release the rough cut I had of it. Yeah. To the public, even if it's not in the perfect quality, not finished. Or trying to finish himself if he could, like add some sound effects music. Maybe whatever. maybe it's kind of an idea, like if you've like got to the almost like completely finished something, just kind of like sending it over to someone that you that you trust. Just because like yeah, what if like something really does happen to you and you're like you've you've got like an almost complete film and then Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> the likelihood of that happening, um it could still can happen, but it's relatively low, but it's it's nice to have peace of mind. You know, I just sort of had an idea then of something that would actually be kind of cool. Imagine if you kind of like made an entire brick film and saved it to a hard drive, buried it somewhere and kind of like sort of said like, don't open, don't open this for a uh, hundred years. And then a hundred years time, somebody sees that brick film. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if they'd even like it, you know, mm-hmm. what, yeah. what sort of taste they have. What would the standards be in brick filming by then? I think so. Sometimes people still do like, certain old things like people still watch some old movies yeah i really i still really like the wizard of oz i just think that's a wonderful film yeah that's great also something that uses both color and black and white yeah that's true yeah there's actually this thing i actually generally hate black and white and i think that people who shoot things in black and white usually come off as pretentious and then i spent five years doing it myself so <laughs> i feel like such a hypocrite but I know, I feel like to make something black and white now, where it's... I feel like you should only do it if there's, like, a real important reason for it to be black and white, or otherwise, why don't you just shoot in colour? I mean, Wizard of Oz is something that shows off um, colour, but it's really cool how it starts in black and white and then moves to colour. And it's like, you know, that's one of the first colour films there are, so it's, like, really, really showing off the new um, stuff they yeah. have. Yeah, it, it must have been just, like, felt like magic to people at the time, because it's, like... Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a, such a cool thing to experience. I almost wish I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, to know, to really feel what it's like to feel that for the first time. There's sorts of things with all sorts of things. Like, some video games have certain things that are taken for granted now. Yeah. Uh, just features and graphical things. And some games now, when you play them now, you realise that, that some, sometimes I realise, oh, this is actually going explicitly out of the way to try to show you this cool new feature, which isn't actually that special anymore. Yeah. I kind of feel like I can sort of put myself in the mindset when I'm watching something or playing a game that I know is old and yeah. kind of appreciate it for what it would have been doing at the time. Yeah, I still do that sometimes, and I think it's um, pretty cool. And sometimes I still play old things or watch old movies, and I'm still, I still find what they do really interesting, um, You know, especially when you consider the limitations and such. I look at the space battle sequence from Return of the Jedi, and that's actually a really good sequence. I... There's a lot of space oh, yeah. battle going on there. A lot of that still um, holds up. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Well. I well, mean, there's a few parts where it looks like, you know, things pasted onto things, but they still, like, shot so many models. 
and impose them all into one image and they're all moving in these huge formation that's really really cool mm-hmm, with the camera moving mm. i still have a, a real kind of fondness for things like george millet's you know like ni- like 1900 oh, yeah. like um journey to the moon what, <laughs> what he was doing then is just like that like, it was just like impossible compared to like what was being done before so i mean i think you can <laughs> i think if you really kind of put into like historical context into when you when you're watching something I think, like, I think there was this one thing like one of the first ever ever movies ever it's just a video of a train passing yeah, by, yeah. but it scared people watching it because they'd never seen any sort of video at all ever ever in their life and then there's just seeing a train and it scares them it's kind of funny how you can see things like that yeah but yeah i think that a trip to the moon is a it's still enjoyable to watch. I watched it recently, expecting nothing more than just like just to appreciate it for what it was doing at the time. But I found myself actually liking it. Yeah, there's mm. a lot of inc- uh, impressive set building in it. Another film I really like that's old. I mean, I I, I was studying this like in, in university, but like one of the films I I, I really like that's um, I think from like 1907 or something is the the train robbery I think it's called or something, and um, it's kind of like can regarded as like the first western. And um, it's like a fight. It's like a, it's like a it's like a fight scene on a train. Um, but that's another that's another one that's really good. The very first films, like you're thinking of, like like sort of the 1800s into like the early 1900s, it was kind of a it was a an era kind of known as like the like the cinema of attractions basically. So it was kind of like like the actual idea of a film was kind of like a show, like like a, like a magic show. Yeah. So you just show things happening, yeah. really. You know, and you want to capture them on camera, and. They weren't dialogue heavy because they just, they couldn't record sound back then, so it was just about more uh, what was happening on the screen. I kind of would argue, in a way, that um, the evolution of brick filming is very similar to uh, actual films, like because you have that kind of era where the actual novelty of something being recorded is like amazing, to the point where you actually have yeah. to have like m- like magic tricks on screen, you know. <laughs> As a kid, just watching Lego figures move—that's just so satisfying. Just, just watching a mini. I think that's part of the reason why um, Michael Hitchcock is so popular because um, and I actually have enjoyed a lot of his films when I was younger. Not as much now, but they just sort of showed these Lego people just doing things, and that's what he started out doing, and he still does that now. But I think it's um, actually kind of nice, yeah. You know, especially when you're younger, to watch that. It's just sort of satisfying. It's just, just watching Lego people do some stuff. Actually, speaking of which, we generally ask about um what got people into brick filming in the first place in these podcasts. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think oh. that's a good topic to cover. Okay, so the first, I think the very first brick film I saw was Monty Python and the Holy Grail in Lego, hmm. which was on the special features of the DVD. I think it's an Easter egg on the DVD. Oh, no. It's, I forgot if it was an Easter egg or not. Yes, I, I, think it was, I, I think it's directly yeah. listed. Okay, yeah, it is directly listed. I think you're right. But, um, but it's literally the first one I ever yeah. saw, and I watched that a lot. Um, it's just it's so it's it's still really cool now. It's got yeah. I like I like classic castle too, and I've always been fond of classic Lego sets, and I like all the little elements you see in there. It's just really really satisfying to watch. And of course, um, it's fascinating I, to a Lego fan because of the the custom elements that weren't in any set. Yeah, and I wanted to make a brick film that was like it, but I never ended up making it because I didn't really have the proper stuff to do it and such. But I had lots of ideas about what I wanted to do. And I even built sets and characters, but it never really came to anything. And it wasn't until 2007 that I actually um, had a digital camera and I started brick filming with it with some Lego Star Wars films. And I tried to enter the Lego Star Wars movie making contest 
and I think I didn't even submit it properly. And I'm not I'm not even sure if it went in, but it was terrible anyway. So, <laughs> so what was that film about? It was called The Lego Darth Vader Changer. And it was just taken on a table in this room in my house. So there's no proper background. You can just see the house there. And I think it was out of focus. And Sidious, he finds um, Darth Vader after he's been cut up by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because I had the set that, you know, you flip it around and you have Scar Anakin and then it's Darth Vader on the other side. And I had that there. And he puts him on it and then he twists it around if you're pulling a lever on the panel. And he keeps becoming things that aren't Darth Vader. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just really angry and he's screaming. And at one point his head blows up. But he like turns into Han Solo at one point. I think he turns into Jar Jar Banks and a Gamoran guard. Gamorian? I'm not really sure what those things are called. The pig guys from Return of the Jedi. Uh, but yeah, it's just a simple little thing. <laughs> that honestly sounds like a cutscene from a Lego uh, video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that is the sort of thing. Because I was such a huge fan of those games back then. Yeah. Just such a huge fan. I love those games. I still do love those games. Especially without voice acting. <laughs> it's It's... It's really funny to have them without voices and you just can talk. I feel like I sort of got tired of those games after a while because it's like I played them before. Yeah. <laughs> they are essentially the same thing every time, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I think it was when I was playing one of the, the second Harry Potter game and I didn't actually finish it. That was the first one I didn't actually finish. It's like, oh, I've played this before. <laughs> it's a bit disappointing. But after I played something for such a long time, I kind of got, got it got old. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a, a a a big fondness for like the earlier ones, though. like 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 the Star Wars. Mm, yeah, yeah. I've spent so much time in those games. Um, I think the first one I beat it all the way through, like got one hundred percent on absolutely everything, seven times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was because like you, I know you can replay the levels again, but there's something sort of satisfying about unlocking the new levels. And even though I'd unlocked them before, I'd just delete my old save and just start a new one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's more satisfying to go through the progression again and yeah. actually unlock things again. I would have done this the same. I would have played something <laughs> like the first Ratchet and Clank like seven times, start to finish. <laughs> the only game, only Lego Star Wars game I actually reached 100% on was Indiana Jones, uh, the original adventures. And the funny thing with that is that once you reach 100%, I don't know if it's the same with the other games, um, you just get like loads of um, studs that are being like, thrown at you. The entire time. Yeah, yeah, it happens with them with the others too. But like by that point, it actually means nothing to you because you yeah, can't buy anything. anything. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why can I have this feature before? You know. <laughs> it's always about getting somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes I worry that um, you know people can see, um, you know, Squid is playing this game on Discord, or even worse, my hours on Steam, which are just recorded, you know, for all my friends to see. So um, I actually have very little focus. I can't really think about anything else. Um, I'm really bad at counting overall, just counting series of things. I mean, if I do it like one, two, three, four, five, six, that's, that's, that's easy. Uh, but if you just counting things that take a little bit longer, like frames in a shot or something else, or paying attention to which thing has been moved and which thing hasn't been moved, that is just so hard for me. And it takes so much of my mental capacity. I can't hear anything at all. I can't hear people talking anywhere, not even whispers, because then my brain starts straining to hear them and translating that into some idea that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I can't hear music either, because the rhythm will always be off from what I'm doing. I, I really like listening to music while animating, but I only listen to music without vocals. Mm, that makes sense. 
Yeah, but for me, I can't even do non-vocal because the rhythm is upsetting. But that's just me, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm bad. I couldn't imagine not listening to music whilst animating, but generally I prefer it to be kind of like something that I'm familiar with. When I, when I get into like an album or a band or something, I like to listen to the actual like lyrics and like the actual song. Whereas like when it when it's like something you know, you can just have it on in the background. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Like I feel like I couldn't imagine like now actually animating without anything. Um, if like I've I've done music videos like well, music films that are set to music, and quite often if it's like a pre-existing song, then I'll just listen to that song over and over again. That sounds painful. Yeah, I wouldn't like to do that at all. <laughs> Some people have different levels of endurance for that sort of thing. My mom likes listening to a lot of music all the time, but I, I can't stand hearing music too often. Or it starts messing me up, like, just really messing me up. Yeah, yeah I'm always surprised when I hear about people listening to the same album every day, or multiple times a day. <laughs> I, I've got, like, some music I really like. Um, I like you know, when I first found it and I listened to it the most, I would listen to it, like, once a week. But not more than that, because I don't want it to get old. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that um, if, if you ever do the, um, oh, what's it called? Last FM. There's almost like an image thing, like, because people will actually see what you're listening to. You kind of want to be listening to a variety of stuff, I always find. And I always worry, like... like oh, you're worried what people think about you when they're seeing you you're doing this thing well well not too much but like i guess in a way you don't want to have like the, the same album over and over again it's like it's just you don't have obsessed you know <laughs> i find that if i don't like an album i tend to listen to it a lot because i want to know why i don't like it i don't know if you get that but like that's really weird i've never <laughs> heard of anyone doing that but it actually makes complete sense I, that, that's probably a good way to be though especially if it's something like an album that everyone says is a classic but you think you don't get it, but then maybe if you listen to it enough times, then it will click. Pink Floyd is like that for me, you know? It's, it's like... People told me... Yeah. I, I think it, I didn't like Citizen Kane, and some people told me that I need to watch it again when I was older. I could I could see that being the case, because I know for me, anyway, there's, there has been some music that I, I tried to listen to when I was, like, 15, and I just did, did not like it at all, and I thought, you know, anyone who, who likes this is just pretending to like it, because everyone says it's, it's great, but, but then, you know, a few years down the line, I'm like, oh, it actually, this is, like, some of my favourite bands now oh wait actually in a certain year i'm not really sure which year um i really hated the phantom of the opera my family would watch it a lot and then a few years later i started really liking the phantom of the opera started growing on me yeah i mean i find that um for me i really disliked dark side of the moon first time i listened to it and it's funny because like it's one of these albums that everybody like says is like this masterpiece and everything i was like and I was like, I don't really get it. And I, I, I was sort of thinking, am I the only one that thinks it's really pretentious? And then I actually listened to it again, and I'm like, now it's like, I absolutely love Dark Side of the Moon. It's, it's really mad. <laughs> hmm. This is the same as, like, I'm just just watching it again. Yeah. I feel like um, adaptions. Adaptions for movies. It's somewhat a similar thing, because you're talking about watching things once and then watching it again, or listening to it again, in the case of music, and you have different ideas about it. But... I keep telling people how um, something I've realized is you watch a movie that was made from a book you don't like it as much the first time because you see all the differences and those stand out a lot but if you know those things are coming and you've watched it again I find that I generally enjoy them mm, a lot better that's a good point yeah. yeah you often go into things with some expectations 
Like um, some of the later Harry Potter films, I didn't like as much as the original one. And I still think the original yeah. ones are better, or some of like the first three. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they're not as bad, or some of them can actually be pretty enjoyable if you, um, you're watching them a second time. And it's actually kind of worth it to go for that second rewatch sometimes. Yeah. For um, adaptions. Not always, though, because some things are actually still to be yeah. Some of those changes really are bad changes, and they shouldn't have been I do there. think that with, with um, Harry Potter, I, I've, I've never really connected to... Uh, any of the ones after like the fourth one but like i've watched like i i, I think a few years ago i like i i watched um the half-blood prince like for the first time and i was like yeah that's actually not a terrible film it's actually quite good you know it's... i actually haven't rewatched the last two yet i keep forgetting about that it's actually yeah. been years now i have this thing where i try not to rewatch a film until it's been at least a year since i watched yeah. it before because as a kid i would do that but i would I was terrible at it, you know. You'd get a VHS and you'd watch it over and over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah. Uh, and DVDs make it even easier because you don't have to rewind <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and I remember realizing that I was Pirates of the Caribbean had become such a weird film because I'd seen it too many times, and that's when I decided to stop that because it's just I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean too many times now, and I need to make this rest for a really long time. And to make sure that this never happens again, I'll institute this rule. Yeah. And I really like that. I feel like it's just improved overall the way I experience movies. It is funny though, like, I think when you're comparing films to music, I think you're more likely to listen to albums sort of repeatedly, like, um, in a much, like, sort of closer to each other. And I think you end up, um, it, it ends up making you enjoy albums more easily than films. Well, you can listen to music while doing yeah, some other stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, with a film that demands your full attention. But like, I, I generally like if this is a band I really like, I want to listen to their entire discography. And like, pretty much every band has like a couple of bad albums. So I like to kind of like just like listen to them mm. and just sort of think, okay, why is why are these not as good as the ones that came before, or whatever? And then, and then like I I find like oh, actually I really like that song and I really like that song and I end up just like being obsessed with that album to the point where it's like actually this is I I really like this. You know, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Well, I find that most albums don't make much of an impression on the first listen. Yeah. Like, no matter how good they are. Something about music sometimes is bringing back the memories that you've associated with it. That's a good point, yeah. I kind of find that, um, you know, an album or a song can have, like, this kind of, uh, sort of symbolic, like, kind of uh, significance to your life. Like, if there's, like, a certain, like, part of your life, you listen to that song a lot, you know, when at a certain phase of your mm-hmm. life, it almost becomes, like, a, a theme like a theme of that kind of like of those me- of those memories in a way so i think like there's a lot of albums and, and songs that i kind of connect to a certain part of my life in a way hmm. i'm trying to think if there's any notable brick film examples of a uh, where i didn't like it before and then eventually came to like something uh what's coming to mind is the citizen of the year oh yeah yeah <laughs> actually no actually i didn't like the citizen of the year that much at first um, but I've sort of grown to like it after watching it a few more times. Actually, yeah, I think I have. Yeah, well... And I just think it's funny, just the whole thing about everybody like, regarding it in such a high regard. Just picking a random thing and focusing on it, like, I like that sort of thing. Even if it doesn't necessarily completely deserve it. Although I've actually started yeah. to really like it. I think that most people don't like it when they first see it, because, you know, in brick filming, you're going to see stuff like that when you're young. And I think that The Citizens of the Year kind of has, like more clever kind of humor it's not just a setup on a punchline it's all very much mm. in the way that the dialogue continues to flow and the the themes 
sort of like a and an older I've, Hollywood comedy. I've just started to also just, I just really like the parrots in the hmm. trash can. It's such a striking image to me. I'm not sure if it's because I've seen it so much or I put it in my own films or everybody, lots of people put it in their own. But now I put it in every single film I make because it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's a weird little I thing think, and I like I it. I think it's really nice, like, um, the thing, the thing of a citizen of the year is that it's kind of like, there aren't many brick films that really have that kind of like impact on the community in the same way that you know, there were there were certain like uh, Hollywood films or you know just films in general that you know that that has such an impact on like the world in if, in, a, in a way and like I think that Citizen of the Year is one of those very few brick films that really has had a massive impact on the community and I think it's nice having something like that which is like hugely like beloved. And in, in, in a lot of ways, like, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of just like, why? Why is it like this? <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of um, video games sometimes. I keep going back to video games. Like, video games and films yeah. are actually very similar in a way. But um, some video games can be extremely influential. Like, um, there are so many Doom-based games. Well, Doom, is, you know, the DNA of Doom is in basically every first-person shooter. Yeah, but it's like, I haven't even played the original Doom, but it's had an influence on so many other games, like, even Half-Life, is, the original Half-Life is sort of a Doom clone, isn't mm. it? Because it's about things coming from another dimension type well, monsters. The, the phrase Doom clone refers to something a lot, a lot more specific than that, generally. Oh, okay. But that's getting kind of technical. Alright, alright. I've heard it applied to it, so I was just re- repeating something. I think um, if I was going to pick a brick film which I really disliked the first time I saw it and I've grown to appreciate, it'd be Good Company. Oh yeah, that's a good because example. Because when I first watched that, I actually found it really boring, and I kind of like didn't really understand the ending, and um, and I, I I knew that it was one of these sort of films that people really you know really kind of like like adored like in the in the community, and um, I think without the kind of like un- understanding of like uh, how influential it was like for the time like you know because it it like one of the things that I've always found. Well, like since that I found with Good Company is that it it feels like a brick film from like three or four years after it was made. That's, huh. that's the thing. I mean, it it there's nothing like it storytelling wise before or you know closely afterwards yeah. in brick film. I think it's kind of interesting in that not a whole lot seems to be happening for a lot of the film, but I think it is definitely a film that is improved on rewatch, like rewatch. I think. But that definitely is a film that I really, I really didn't like for uh, a really long time, actually. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I could totally imagine most people who would watch it now, they'd probably just think, "What's the big deal?" Yeah. But I mean, I do still think it's a good film, of course. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, in general, I think it has a really nice use of color. I think use of color is really yeah. important. Yeah. Like, something I've started to realize from Welcome to the Dartmoor was just even in a color film that's completely color the whole time, just you could do so many interesting things with color and you don't always think about it there's also something in the wizard of oz it's actually not just a film that's in color that's special about it it actually uses the color that's in it really really well just like the yellow brick road just it's such a striking image and the red shoes and the emerald city the green of the witch's skin there's so many colors everywhere and they all mean specific things and they're very very well matched to each other and there's still some, you know, more subtle colours like the scarecrow and the tin men's just sort of silvery, but they help other things pop out. That is kind of like um 
one of the things that I think is really special about Wizard of Oz is that, um, you know, they could very easily have used the color as a gimmick. Like the fact that it's in color could be enough, but like the the actual color is really yeah, important they, to the film, isn't it? It's almost like these people were thinking about, oh man, I want to do this thing. They were thinking about really special things they want to do with color, but it just uses color so well because they didn't take it for granted. They really wanted to make it be, use it to its full effect. And sometimes I think about that sometimes. Like, am I using colors? Because you have access to so many simple things that professional filmmakers from ages ago mm. didn't even have. It's a great thing to think about. Um, I think that in brick filming, there's, there's still a long ways to go for uh, use of color, like deliberate yeah. use. Well, I mean, I think mm. actually color is something that is quite often not given as, as much attention as it should, even in like films just in general. Because I think like if you really look into like yeah. the the meanings of colors, there is there is all sorts of um, meanings for them. I mean, obviously there's there's some obvious like meanings for for color of red, but also there's like different shades of 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 colors can mean different things. Like light blue can kind of mean like something completely different to like bright, you know, dark blue. You know, so I think. The way that you use color is something that I think people should really be putting more attention to, and I think it's something that like a lot of films these days. I guess you could like you sort of point at films like I know a lot of, there's been like like thousands of video essays about it, but like the MCU, one of the problems it has is that kind of like it's desaturated, and they and, and they kind of they kind of believe that by having like a lack of color, like it makes it sort of seem real. But it, it loses a lot of the character and a lot of like the meaning if they take away the colors, you know. Yeah, like um, some of the Captain America film, like Captain America Winter Soldier, is actually yeah. mostly pretty gray film. Um, something like Ragnarok, though, that is really bright. That yeah, uses a lot of crazy colors everywhere. Well, yeah, stuff like that and Guardians of the Galaxy would be you know made by directors of more of a like a vision, I guess. Yeah, I think the um. First Captain America had a sort of, just you know, a very very light old look, just a little bit of it, because you know it took like took took place a while ago, so they wanted to just have something that was sort of like a hint of that. I remember I watched Band of Brothers, and I just really looked loved the way that looked. They used some pretty heavy color correction stuff on it, just to make it look a little bit more subdued, but and kind of brownish and greenish. But I actually like the way that looks a lot. And some contrast adjustments. But uh, I'm just trying to continue to think about how it all relates <laughs> to brick filming. And I suppose just <laughs> thinking about it, it is kind of like advanced to be able to... Like most people don't have much in the way of a like technical setup for brick filming. And you know, y you need like a lot of lighting equipment and everything to, to really use color and, and lighting effectively. Most people just have a light and they... They just light up their film and that's that. Something I want to say about this though, that in some ways Lego makes it really easy using Lego as your medium because I, let's say you're having a set and you want like the color of this person's sh this shirt, this red to match the color of, um, you know, something on the set or something like that. I don't know, some detail like that. But if you're matching this textile fabric to something the set designer is doing, that's, that's a bit hard to do sometimes probably because then you have to bring up all these fabrics next to the paint and whatever mm -hmm. and see how they look, especially on the actual lighting you're using. But if you're doing a brick film, you're just using the same plastic for each one. Um, so, And LEGO already has a pretty well-balanced color palette yeah. in some respects. 
And so if you take advantage of the fact that Lego's already done some of that work for you, you can really make some interesting things. And that's what I try to do for Leprechauns in France. Leprechauns in France used a really, really limited palette. And it was somewhat inspired by the game Cube World, which I'd been playing at the time, or near that time, which had a lot of sort of somewhat colorful fall forests. And so I tried to put those colors and make it so that you have this color and this thing and this color somewhere else. And I was actually inspired to do that by um, doing Brawl and Thack films. And I sort of set a rule for myself. I tried, sort of, not always, but I sort of tried, if possible, to include as many colors as I could in a shot at once. So if I could do it just a little bit differently, you know, like get a little bit of red here, if there's any red, let's put some red here. Just, you know, put more colors in there and try to make them match to other things. I'm just, I'm just um, watching the film again. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> keeping in mind the uh, color and yeah you're right it is a striking how it uses color yeah i just feel really good about that it's just not completely necessary um i was actually going to make leprechauns in france a few years earlier and i still have a picture somewhere i should post that sometime of this early set for leprechauns in france and it has this weird pink house in the background um and sometimes i wonder what would have happened if i still made leprechauns in france in that summer i really like how the background is gray and everything in the foreground is colorful Oh yeah, yeah, because that's another thing about using color. You sort of, the gray is, it, act, most of the screen is actually bright, gray because of that rock. Yeah, so everything stands out really well. Yeah, so every it just really pops. And it suits the style of the that. film to have everything pop like that. It's nice and cartoony. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is a really good point to, to point out that the majority of the frame would actually be gray. But, <laughs> but you'd call it a film that uses color well. Yeah, because really, because I started to realize that that was actually mostly accidental for Leprechauns from France. I just like building rock walls because they make it so that the horizon looks more natural. Because if you don't, that's so, so in almost all my films now, I have just, you know, a little bit of a rock wall. Welcome to Dartmoor has that too. It's a bit shorter. I actually think I made that rock wall a little bit too tall in that film. It was because I just had a whole lot of rocks at the time and I was not building an especially large set. So yeah, let's just go all out. Let's just make this huge rock wall. I'm definitely noticing it now, because I'm, I'm just uh, giving uh, Leprechauns in France a watch again. Uh, there is a, a really nice use of colour um, throughout, and it's just made me think that actually colour is actually something that you have you really kind of uh, put a lot of attention to in um, most of your films, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I try to. I think in some of my earlier ones, I didn't have as much, but I think a little while later, I started really paying attention to it. I think it's, it's actually doing Brawl and Tax film. That's what gave me that attention to color though it made me think about which colors were in the frame right now i think like one of the earlier ones that i can think of um of yours that kind of really has a lot of color is probably um sharks versus clowns oh sharks and clowns sharks and clowns yeah like yeah that that's actually that's actually one of my favorite um favorite of your brick films actually yeah it's one of my favorites too for a while for me it was like actually hard to decide which i liked better sharks and clowns or leprechauns in france yeah and like that has a really nice use of colour. You know, again, you know. Yeah, because like, um, um, Isaac the Clown actually looks almost like Fred the Leprechaun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just really like that um, shirt-pants combo. It's really nice. Yeah. I guess I should ask, actually, um, who are your biggest inspirations in brick filming? I feel like when I first started out brick filming, I didn't actually watch many other brick films. Because um, I saw some stuff for the contest, but I was actually not using any brick filming website. I wasn't using um, YouTube at the time. And so there were actually a few years where I just wasn't even consuming other brick films. And I was 
basically making up almost all of it as it went along. And it's hard to think which ones are actually influential on me, though, right now. I think I'd have to think really hard about that one. Does anything stand out from actual film? Um, hmm. Hmm. You know what? I feel like How to Rob a Bank was actually inspired very much by SpongeBob SquarePants. The style of humor and everything. Because it's just really random in SpongeBob. And you just have so many weird things happening in this place of work, like the Krusty Krab. And sometimes weird people come into the Krusty Krab. And that's sort of what um, Powder Not Rubber Bank is, but just really cranked up several notches. Yeah, I, 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 could, I can see that, actually, um, in that. That's, uh, it has that kind of similar sense of humour. Yeah. I actually really, I really uh, enjoy the, the humour in uh, How to Not Rubber Bank. I think it's probably one of the one of your funniest films. Yeah, I actually shot that in a relatively short time too. I think that was only three months of shooting. I just took a really long time to edit because I had um, some issues with my program, um, some complex sound effects and such. You know, I get a lot of comments on Welcome to Darkmoor that um, it seems like it's based on the Twilight Zone or Lovecraft, but I've actually never read Lovecraft and I've never seen the Twilight Zone, except once I think I passed by it in passing, but I never actually watched a full episode. I just saw it on TV while somebody else was watching in my house. Yeah. But I don't think that ins- that really influenced me. There are some random things that influence very specific parts of my films, but they're like really weird random things you wouldn't expect. Uh, do you have any examples? Um, man, whenever you want to ask for examples yeah. or something, it's, it's <laughs> like just, your brain just shuts off and I have trouble thinking of things. Um, I really feel like the um, end of Welcome to Darkmoor was based upon the silver chair. And I'm pretty sure that I wasn't cognizant of that while actually writing the script. But I realized it later. That, oh, wow, this is actually really like that one scene from Silver Chair where um, Puddleglum tells the queen of the Underland that the Underland is such a terrible place and it doesn't really matter if the above world, which they're starting to think might be imaginary, is real or not. And then decide to go and leave anyway. And that's sort of what Yor the Stranger does when she jumps off the cliff. I think that um, inspiration most often probably comes from the places you don't expect to find it. Yeah. Um, so Welcome to Darkmoor, what it's actually based off. It's actually based upon a dream. And this is basically where the whole thing starts out. So, uh, <laughs> and it does have elements from movies, but not any specific movies. So it's a Batman film. Um... There's something set in the Batman universe. It's kind of fitting since that Joker movie just came out. And it had two cops, and they were played by Matt Damon and Bruce Campbell. And I actually have never seen anything with Bruce Campbell in it. But he plays this character on Bird Notice, and a while ago I was watching a lot of the same channel, and I saw ads with him from Bird Notice on it, so I know his face and who he's looking at. And that's enough for my subconscious to impose him in the dream, because a lot of times my dreams just cast people as roles and such. And he and Matt Damon, with the, as cops, you know, they're going through this apartment looking for something and they've got flashlights and guns out and they're searching around. And th- they're sharing rumors about um, this new criminal on the streets. And Matt Damon's character, he says, his name is I Am The Joker. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they like go upstairs and into this bedroom and then, well, they're not looking Jack Nicholson's Joker steps out of the shadows and he pulls out a gun and he shoots and kills Matt Damon's cop. 
and then and right afterwards before um bruce campbell's character can turn over he shoots him as well and he wounds him and he falls back onto the bed and he can't fight back or anything and he says hello my name is i am the joker and then he shoots him <laughs> and that's it that's, that's where it comes from. I just really wanted to have something where that happened. I feel like a little bit of that might also just be online internet games. Sometimes people choose those types of names when um, another name is taken. Like, you know, like you can't have Harrison Allen, so you might choose I am Harrison Allen or something mm-hmm. of that nature. And then other people refer to you by the, the full username like that. Yeah, every once in a while you see that just a little bit. So I think that's sort of where the idea from the dream came from. And then the second idea for Welcome to Dartmoor, so I have that name idea, was just hearing about a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. And somehow just hearing people talk about it, I thought that Welcome to Night Vale was the name of the town. Somehow it felt right to me. It just felt right. Especially if people talk about the title or something, they actually say the full name, Welcome to whatever, over and over again. And then I actually listened to a tiny bit of it, not much. I actually don't have a lot of patience for that sort of thing. I just, I don't know, I just can't sit through it very well but it sounded kind of okay but i listened to it and it was really disappointing to find out that it was just called night vale not welcome to night vale <laughs> and i had those ideas like i wanted to have something like this and i wanted to have something like that and then i had the bright idea sometime oh i could put these two together then i just had to think of the name for the town that took me a while but i sort of so i sort of shelled it until i thought of a good name and i thought of dark i was like oh that's perfect was there any like real world inspiration that went into the events within the film? Because I kind of feel like if you desired, you could try to read into it as, you know, sort of all standing for something else. Oh, I suppose you could. But perhaps it's best to just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess it's time for the Brick Film Showcase. Yes. Yeah, so my pick is... Um, Frankenstein, which is a uh, 2005 brick film by um, Robinson Wood or Nos Nibuus. Yeah, as the title suggests, it is an adaptation of Frankenstein. Um, and it's um, really one of the kind of best examples of a horror brick film. I think it's uh, one of those like standout brick films of the time. It really has that kind of classic sort of mid-2000s brickfilms.com kind of uh, era brick film feel to it. I just really kind of like the kind of way that they kind of like portray his character. Like, you know, he, he's hearing these kind of voices, like this voice to, you know, like free me, you know, that kind of thing. It's just like a, a really kind of unique interpretation of the story, I think. It's honestly a, a really classic interpretation of the actual story itself. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, I've, I've always really enjoyed the film. Actually, it's kind of spooky. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, yeah. it, well, it's usually brought up, uh, if ever anyone asks, like, oh, are there any successful horror brick films like that actually have some tension? People mention Frankenstein and generally very little else. It's like the number one example of a horror brick film <laughs> done well. There aren't really many horror brick films. It's film. very difficult to make one that's actually effective. Yeah, because they're, you know, plastic figures. I got some comments on Welcome to Dartmoor about it being spooky or getting, you know, being afraid during the um, dream sequence. So maybe I actually did. I didn't think I was going to, so I thought, okay, I'll just make something that feels a little spooky and be done with it there. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I guess the, the, the dream sequence would generally could be considered quite uh, quite scary. But of course, uh, Frankenstein has the, the legend attached to it. 
that uh, it was made for a contest on BrickFilms.com, uh, which was partnered with BrickFest, and the contest entries were screened at BrickFest, and of course people thought like, oh, you know, Lego videos, and they they should show their kids, and so there were plenty of kids in the audience, and uh, apparently. <laughs> There were people who had to be taken away crying after seeing Frankenstein. <laughs> Which, it, I mean, it sounds, like, uh, amazing, but apparently it works on, on young kids. Kids should watch some scary stuff sometimes. Hmm. And, of course, then they were asked not to screen it again. <laughs> it's a great legend, I think. That's pretty believable, though. Like, I can see that happening. Like, you, it is genuinely quite scary to watch. Like, you know, like, possibly one of the... F- the f- probably the first time I watched it, because, like... Um, when I sort of like first joined like Bricks in Motion, I actually went onto the wiki and just like watched like every brick film like year by year kind of thing. And um, I think I was like I'd stay wow. up like late at night like watching these brick films. And I think I that was probably one of the brick films I actually watched to like you know late at night, all the lights out. And it is genuinely quite a scary film to watch. Well, I think what works so yeah. well about it is the manner in which it builds tension. You know, like when the guy is killed with the knife. You don't actually see him getting stabbed, but there's so much build-up to it and all the various different shots. It's much more effective than just a blatant kill. Yeah. I guess there isn't hugely that many classic examples of Frankenstein, except for like the the like the, the black and white like version, that to kind of like pull from in terms of inspiration. So I think it's kind of like it really is a um unique um interpretation of uh, of Frankenstein. And I think it kind of, um, you know, it, 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 it really focuses on, on Frankenstein rather than the actual monster. I think it's a really unique telling of the story, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it more or less uses the source material as a jumping off point to create its own story, which I think is a good way to be. Yeah, I really like the whole, like, you know, it's, it's his sort of, you're kind of seeing it through his reality kind of thing, where you kind of, the, the way that they have like that sort of bright light uh, when he's sort of like thinking and he's going to kill someone, you know, it's a window into his kind of, like, mental state, in a way. I really think that the face choice for the monster, that was actually, that was pretty good, because it's one of those faces from Aquazone, that's what the theme is called, right? And you don't see those faces in the normal set pictures, they are always wearing the masks, so it's really rare to actually see those faces, and something about them feels really scary, because you don't see them so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really unusual face. Yeah. I suppose it I wish I had one. Sort of like how in Welcome to Darkmoor you use the, the was it the Sauron face? That's on Mouth of only Sauron. Only in one set, I think. I mean, you, yeah, it's only one set. You do see most of the important part of the um, face, but it's a very weird face, and so if you put it on just about anything else besides the mask, it feels very different, and it feels very unique, which is nice, because you don't get that with a lot of um, faces mm-hmm. from licensed themes and such. Mm. Or just Lego and in general, really. The whole um, nightmare sequence, I wrote the script almost all in just about one day, and I left the nightmare sequence just blank because I thought, I'll fill that in later. I'll just, I'll make it up when I get there um, in animation. And I was building the figures and such, and then I built the poet because I was testing out some stuff, and I was like, oh, I really like this. And I decided to base the nightmare around him. And so it was all based around the figure, and I wanted something that worked with him. Hmm. And I wrote the poem just because I looked at his face and I thought, he looks like somebody who would read poetry. <laughs> Her talking lines. <laughs> Most of my brick films are actually, I just look at figures and then I think about what their story should be. Leprechauns in France is just a story for the leprechaun I built. 
that's a good thing about Lego. So uh, some of my own films have been inspired by just the the fact that Lego yeah, made a prop that comes with a collectible minifigure, and it just it inspires a story idea. Yeah, but I feel like it's really nice to just you know you look at a character. I really like writing a story when I know what the character looks like instead of filling it in later. I'm, technically, all the other characters welcome to dot or are, you know sort of cast based upon the script, not build them for whatever roles they were, but um, for other things like. For sharks and clowns, I wanted two people to fight each other, and I didn't know who these two people would be, and I came up with a shark and a clown, and the whole story was just based upon that, once I had the figures built. Mm. One of the kind of unique things about, I guess, you know, like Lego and stuff, unlike a lot of things where you kind of like base the, you you have the script, and then you've got to kind of like create the characters based on the script. I like the idea that of that, like, you know, just like creating that character, and then writing something with that character in mind is quite a unique way of doing it, I think. Yeah. But, like, one of the things I really like about in this, in, in Frankenstein, is that I think you're... Like, if you're familiar with the LEGO Studios um, sort of theme, you're probably, you're, you're probably expecting the actual Frankenstein uh, minifigure that they made. So, like, when, when, it, when it rises up yeah, and you see... Sense this like completely unique kind of like figure it really is uh, quite a surprise and, and i think yeah. as well it had had he decided just to use that normal like frankenstein minifigure then it really would have taken away a lot you know from it oh yeah you know i don't think they owned the figure that's probably why yeah, possibly yeah sometimes really sometimes the best things come from you just you don't have the right thing and you're forced to use something else and the choice ends up being yeah better. I feel like that happens so much in all sorts of little things. I mean, sometimes, you know, it really is worse and it'd be better if you had the right mm. thing. But I feel like sometimes you can come up with some really cool things there that you just have to think outside of the box. So it forces you to do something a bit more original. And sometimes that's that's better in a lot of different I think ways. that is kind of um, a one kind of, I guess, negative side to the, you know, the things like the, the minifigure series and all that kind of stuff where they add these all these like really unique, like never, bef- never before like seeing kind of like pieces is that um you got so, you got so many specific lego pieces for things now where it gets to the point where things that used to be custom people customized are now just actual pieces and i think one of the th- really charming things about brick films is like when you well, or lego in general is like um making um things out of stuff that you know is like out of parts that aren't usually made for that and just kind of like making yeah. your version of something you know yeah i like mixing and matching it and you just make some things that just just work together. You can still do a lot of cool things um, these days. Like the Nightmare Poet still uses relatively recent parts. Like uh, the Mouth of Sauron. Okay, they're not actually that recent, but the time he was made, <laughs> they're still relatively recent. Um, like because the torso is from 2010 from minifigures, maybe 2009, probably 2010, and then the head is from 2013, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right for when they made the Lord of the Rings Lego. But I was really surprised to uh, to learn that that was only in one set and to see the prices of it on Bricklink nowadays. Yeah, well, yeah, it's actually lucky that it got made because it's something from a deleted scene from the extended edition they still put it in the set. And sometimes I think, like, what would have happened if that hadn't been in the set? What would Welcome to Darkmoor be like? Because the scene is based upon that face. Mm. So it would have been a different film. Yeah. I suppose just little things like that. I really like the way that they've used the the roller skates for loads of different things, like the roller skate piece. I really like that kind of thing, and um, I, I always think that you should sort of always try and you know find unique pieces and just like do different things with them. I think it's I think it's just really kind of fun and creative. Yeah, 
Something I don't like is torso prints that aren't really are just a bit too oh, specific. Yeah. I agree. Like, um, so one line I can think of, and I actually have no um, sets from this line, but uh, the Lego Agents line, they just have these specialized uniforms. They have like an A for Agent, and so they're like sort of superhero-ish type uniforms. And I mean, you can make something with that. Surely can if you want to. But they have an A on it, so they've got to have that A for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. so they've got to start with A. And also that kind of suit is just a kind of weird outfit in general. and doesn't apply to a lot of stuff. Hmm. And I definitely have lots of torsos like that, sort of. Um, I can't think of any of them right now, except for the one that I don't actually own. Uh, it just like They're kind of annoying because they just fill up my minifigure parts, but I'm just realized, wow, I'm probably never going to use yeah. this. I feel like when they first started doing licensed Lego, like the early Star Wars Lego, they were keeping it in mind that the pieces should be able to be used for all sorts of purposes. Whereas nowadays, there's so many like name tags and badges and incredibly specific <laughs> details. Yeah. Something like, uh, oh yeah, the robes and old Star Wars sets are such good elements. Yeah. They are such good elements. I'm still using some of those now. You can just, they're just robes. It's just... Also, it's really nice when you have a license theme and they don't have any skin printing on the top. Mm. Yeah. So you can put whatever head. You can put, it's great because you can even put something like a skull on top. Something that I was aware about with Darkmoor, but I didn't actually utilize, unfortunately. Something, one of the reasons why I sort of want to make another film like it one day is um, you can just make a figure who use, who has like the um, realistic skin tone patch at the top and then a yellow face, and it doesn't matter on camera at all. And it's just really great. I never actually used it, though, because um, all the figures just ended up not using it. I made a few experimental figures, and... I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't have to or didn't end up doing it because I looked at them and it just I was just disgusted <laughs> looking at them because they're just such weird looking. Do you know one of the torsos that I, I actually really love is um the Indiana Jones torso. Um it's just I I really like hmm. the kind of leather jacket. Oh, you are the stranger comes from an Indiana Jones set. Her um tor- her oh, torso really? that's from uh Marion, from one of the Crystal Skulls. Oh, yeah. So yeah, King of the Crystal Skull didn't exist. You are the strange you look different. <laughs> so there's one there's one reason to be thankful for uh, Kingdom Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, there are actually a lot of cool pieces in that little set. I think that um another piece that I really like from Kingdom Crystal Skull is um well torso rather, is um Mutt's, Mutt's jacket. Yeah, yeah. That jacket. Yeah, that's really a really good one. It says Mutt on it, but that looks almost yeah, like Yeah, that's a, a good example of one that has a name. But actually <laughs> it looks like a brand almost. It's also very faint and swirly. But it looks like it's a Mutt jacket. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a nice torso design. Otherwise, yeah. But um, to get back to Frankenstein, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we've got enough time. Yeah, you, ha- so. you have to mention just how how good it was for the time. Uh, you know, like two thousand and five. There's a lot of great lighting and cinematography in it. I like the um, the um, the boards and the door when he's opening that building. That's a nice touch. Also, digging the um, earth out of the ground. I love it when people um, in yeah. a brick film dig out of the ground. That's just something that's like, mm, that looks really nice. Yeah. Go- going under the ground and like it was always tricky. Yeah. I should have put a shot like that in the dream sequence. That would have been nice. I'm always a bit lazy on that sort of thing though. But yeah, just manipulating the ground is great because it just there are small little things you could do in films. Just all sorts of films and even just things in general and if you do that little thing it makes the world feel a little bit more real like if you show somebody digging into the ground at some point it makes you feel as if you can uproot any tile in this whole place and that's going to reveal mm-hmm. this ground kind of like in uh some sci-fi things like star trek you will just have you know these are kind of 
shallow sets they don't have a lot to them but if you have a, a few shots that establish somebody ripping open the walls and you can see all these wires back there that sort of helps with the illusion that this is a real big starship and it's got thick layers of wires and stuff and corridors everywhere this is going to be actually a really kind of obscure uh reference but um do you guys remember the the very first winner of thack i've forgotten what his master's yes plan. his master's plan like I, I really love the um, that sequence where he's digging, and it's kind of like a mm-hmm. shot, f- like where you, it's like almost like a game kind of like sort of sort of shot, you know? Yeah, like a two D size yeah. scrolling type of shot. That's such, that's such a cool shot, and it's pretty incredible that it was done for. Tab. Yeah, I actually feel kind of bad as um, I was I was working on Darkmoor. I haven't actually been watching a lot of Brit films or as much as many as I should probably. I don't watch that many. I feel kind of bad for it because like I should be consuming brick films as I expect people to watch me is the least I can do. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, I feel the same way. I've been working on a film this year and I've certainly not been paying as much attention to what's been going on. Yeah. Oh, I thought all the films that are being released. I would I would assume that you of all people would pay the most attention considering <laughs> that you managed the weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose I I'm still probably paying more attention than a lot of people, but. Mm. By my own standards, less. Oh yeah, by your own, because you have very high standards. I I, I guess in a way, I I don't really consume as many brick films as I really should. I mean, like literally, Welcome to Darkmoor is like the first brick film that I've watched since the summer contest, possibly. You see Walter's new film. Oh yes, yeah, actually, he I released saw a it. really yeah he released a really short one. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw oh, that. I just realised that um, Chihuahua has one coming up pretty soon. I remember, so I was actually afraid about Walter's film. It's just like he's. Re- Coming, he's going to release um, a brick film this week. The same week, Welcome to Darkmoor's come out. He hasn't posted anything for five years. What if it's something really big? <laughs> it's something gigantic to steal my thunder. And then Welcome to Darkmoor's comes out. And it's just, it's like, oh, it's just a little short. Okay, that's nice. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not. <laughs> that's Imagine if he'd been working on That's the Way It Goes to all five years. <laughs> yeah, I did secret. enjoy it, though. It's a nice... It's fun to watch this, you know, a little thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I have a bad habit. I just see something I was like, oh, man, that's 12 minutes long. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> 12 minutes and 56 seconds? That's that's way too long. I actually... I remember once, um, I think it was like, well, going back quite, quite a while ago now, I think I released a... I was, I was making a book film for quite a while, like, like you know, a, a few months. And I really kind of felt like this was going to be like my best film of of that time, and I think the same week that I released it, like literally, I think it might have been the same day. There were two like really amazing book films that were released. I think one was by Something Zawai. Um, it was at um, I think it was his most recent book film that he released, and also as well, Mighty Wanderer released um, that Lose My Soul yikes. music video. And oh, yikes! Yikes! And it, it, they were two, like, really amazing book films that came out, like, literally, like, the same day, or the same week, anyway. And it was like, oh, right, so that's definitely overshadowed what I've just done. <laughs> that reminds me how um, a lot of people, especially newer brick filmers, um, they're just... Every once in a while, you'll notice it's, it's Braun Thack Day, um, the end of the thing when the, all the films are coming out. And they're just usually still one or two films being submitted that aren't part of Braun Thack. Oh yeah, I you always bad. have to feel bad for them. Yeah, because yeah, they're just dropping the brick film. They're not completely aware of everything that's happening on them. Like if I had finished like some huge projects and stuff, and I knew Thacker Brawl would come in, I would I would hold off. I wouldn't even do it during the week because I know that a lot of people who wanted to watch it would be busy working on their films. Yeah, so I want to distract them or not have them watch it. 
But um, I guess we should probably be trying to talk about the next uh, Pentas pick. Well, yeah. Um, so when I heard that Frankenstein had already been picked, that was, you know, the, the most obvious option was gone. For uh, you know, we, we had this idea <laughs> that um, we should choose like horror related brick films for this showcase. So obviously Frankenstein's ish, you know. So then I was kind of thinking to go with something a bit more comedic. Uh, but I've already chosen Zombie Attack 2 on a previous podcast, which would be my, my next most obvious choice. <laughs> and then I remembered there was this one film called Scale Boy. And there's it kind of a strange story behind this. Uh, it came out in 2005, same year as Frankenstein, but Ooh. sort of the opposite <laughs> as far as uh, quality and like well-knownness. But when I made the, a an archive and a list of the old brickfilms.com directory on the wiki. I was kind of hoping that by having to download and, and share every single film from the, the old directory, I was hoping I'd find some hidden gems. And mm, I basically didn't. Uh, there was <laughs> one or two films that stuck out to me that I'd not seen before. But I think the top of the pile as far as things I'd never seen or never heard of that I really, really liked is Scale Boy. Which might be strange, because it's not very good. <laughs> but I really, really like it. Uh, I guess it, it has cult appeal. Um, if you like speech engine voices and weird, dark films about people just destroying everything. <laughs> that was really dark, man. That was really <laughs> And of course, uh, Breaking the Law by Judas Priest has inherent comedic appeal. <laughs> always. But yeah, it's a very strange film about a guy with no skin on his face who gets bullied uh, and he wants to kill himself until he befriends a guy who appears to just... His his head is entirely black. <laughs> he most certainly is not in blackface. But uh, So then the, the bullies decide uh, that they don't like that Scaleboy has a friend so they just decide to kill him. And then Scaleboy goes on a rampage and... It just hits that sweet spot of it's really it, like not technically great, but it's just quirky enough and like chaotic enough <laughs> with the sort of like anarchy spirit that it's just a, a kind of a, a joy to watch. It won't appeal to everyone, but I really wanted to share it in some way because I'm pretty sure it got like zero attention when it came out. So I was hoping eventually I could share it with some people and maybe find somebody else who liked it. <laughs> It felt pretty messed up. <laughs> really, honestly, I just it felt pretty messed up. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it's it's. I think it's the only brick film by the creator, and it it has that real sort of you know like first brick film feel, where it's like, oh, everyone should just get run over by a car now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, I guess, in a way, early um, forest fire, you know, kind of. In a way, yeah. maybe, yeah. But like. When you shared it with me, um, the first thought I had was, yeah, this is definitely a Penta pick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really hilarious. It's really funny. And um, uh, I I guess I'm very easily amused by things like the text-to-speech kind of voice thing. Like, that that's always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's a very kind of, like, cheap joke, but, like... I don't know. It always it always Depends works. I've had to use some text to speech in this recent film. Yeah. You get robbed at a Seven Eleven. I think that's the title. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Panzer Hat is really consistently great. Yeah, I actually only discovered him earlier this year, I think, and it was just 
wow, that's, I really like his stuff. So I look forward to his uploads more than anybody else's right now. And if I see one of them on the feed, it's just like, okay, it's got to stop. Got to watch the Panzer mm-hmm. Hat video right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get that same feeling. I think it's like, like when I said like, yeah, like Welcome to World War is like the first like big film I've, uh, like I'd seen for ages. I think that's kind of like um, not including anything about Panzer Hat because I, I think I, I kind of like want to watch this stuff immediately. You know, <laughs> he's like one of those creators. I think it's kind of like I don't know. He's he's got such a unique style, and he's been recently share, like you know uploading stuff consistently. And um, he's been doing a lot of stuff this year. It's just wow, really impressive. I um, listened to the um, episode you did with him of this because um, a friend linked it to me, Sebastian. And it, you two guys talked about how to not Banks like wow, Panzer Hat knows I exist. That's really great. <laughs> it is actually currently our most viewed uh, episode. Huh? I think it's kind of like people really wanted to sort of find out a little bit about him because he he hadn't like done anything like this before. So yeah, I think it was a it was a a, a great episode. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't um, you know post as much as um, some other people, so it makes him it gives him this aura of mysteriousness. Some brick films they just the only stuff they're posting online is their actual brick films. Yeah, but uh, yeah, a scale boy. <laughs> 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 so yeah I, I guess i'm not sure how, how, if it really counts as a horror victim at all <laughs> certainly horrified <But> it, me <laughs> <laughs> it would fit in a horror brick film playlist pretty well yeah, it's got a skull skull when you have a skeleton it gives you that spooky vibe you know as long as you have a skull yeah that's all you need skull is all you need <laughs> so i guess by that metric every benny and lee film ever would also fit a horror playlist yeah well, I mean, yeah, that, that, it's no surprise. There's not a lot to say about this film. So basically, yeah, if you like weird things and... <laughs> if you like get a hit out this. of really, really, really dark humour, then yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, now I think it's time to get back to the well-respected classics. Yeah. So uh, my pick for the showcase is uh, Call for Quanglu, which isn't necessarily like a Halloween brick film. I'm not sure counts as that but it has like a monster in it and it's kind of spooky it's got some people in dark robes and i was looking through my favorites playlist and i was like yeah this is probably the best thing i have for it as in terms of things i like and things i've watched that have influenced me um colorful kong was like it's relatively short but it's just really really well produced um and there's a behind the scenes thing about it and how bionicle 28 made a lot of interesting effects where it's like he has set extensions because he like moved the set around and sort of made a long hallway with it and lots of lots of little things like that which are really fun and the dialogue is just really great too yeah and i love it how it's in a courtroom and people just move back and forth on the chairs a little bit while they're talking and he plays that uh creaking sound and it just makes the scene feel a little bit more real and everything and it gives just some sound for that mus- movement, which I really like. I really like how um, the the lawyer is kind of like isn't even kind of like standing on a table, just so that he kind of like matches the kind of level of the uh, the guy on the chair, you know. Block one hundred. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really like this film. It's kind of like um, I guess a horror slash courts film, <laughs> if that is if that's such a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I like its um, planes of humour and yeah. such. And, um, it's very rare to see uh, a courtroom brick film. Yeah, and this is probably revealing too much, because I've tried not to say too much about it, but 
Red Order is just really, really heavily based upon Call of Far Congo. Just like, definitely, that's like the top inspiration total for it. I think it's kind of like, I don't know, I've always been a, a fan of like, court movies, I guess. Um, I don't know why. I guess it's because of Liar Liar, like when I was a kid. But <laughs> but um, yeah, I've always, I've always liked the whole kind of like, you know, ha- having like a legal debate of some sort. It's interesting because things are... There's a lot of order. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, how there are these special rules and stuff that characters have to follow. And it appeals somewhat to people who like, you know, serious real life things because it's somewhat based on the real world. Although I'm sure that some things are exaggerated somewhat, depending upon the work in question. This is one of those films where uh, really you shouldn't hear a lot about it before you watch it. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's really nice, the aesthetics of it. Like, I That's love true. just seeing all those people in um, their robes in that place. I actually do quite like the uh, the humour, like, the way that the cult are. When those ones, they say, uh, Mother of Darkness, Father of Sin. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. Mother of Darkness, Father of Sin. <laughs> the sets are great in this. Yeah. I really like how the sets are very tall and there's... Plenty of headroom and a lot of shots not often seen in brick films. Pinto, aren't you making a brick film set in a courtroom? I am, yes. And I'm doing a lot of that, that stuff as well. <laughs> Taller shots. <laughs> but I have had this idea in my mind, like, you know, there aren't a lot of courtroom-based brick films. So I, if nothing else, I should try to make the best court brick film ever. <laughs> that makes so sense. Kind of... That makes sense. Like, are there any others besides Carlo Fercongo? Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, Goldbrick Productions made a Ninjago court brick film oh. and there was a um, brick film day finish the story film made by a bunch of people mm. that ended with a courtroom scene with a nice set mm. and that's about all I can think of apart from Call of Furcongly. I made a brick film that involved a court case but the the thing that always annoys me is that the so the guy on trial is sitting where the lawyer would sit and it makes absolutely no sense <laughs> that that that's always annoys uh, me. <laughs> oh wait, you you accidentally made this mistake while making it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't. There are lots of rules about those things, but I don't know all of them or don't remember all of them. For a while, I was kind of worried that I was putting things in the wrong place. <laughs> but then, after a while, I I decided that the film itself is more important and. The way I'd rather shoot things and have everything in relation to each other for the shots and for the film is more important than, like, how it's done in reality. I remember um, for Welcome to Darkmoor when I was first building the set, I actually did look at a lot of real-world photographs for um, a lot of references for the towns. I don't usually do that, but for Darkmoor, I actually did feel like I wanted to. Um, Especially pictures of churches and graveyards, too, because I wanted to... Try to mix a lot of different interesting ways to build gravestones in there to, so they don't all look the same. I find that, uh, yeah, w- watching films and examining pictures is nice for designing sets. Yeah, because sometimes you sort of forget how things look. It's just funny. <laughs> you just, it's just like sometimes if you want to just draw something or build something, you just, just think, okay, I want to do this completely normal thing that you've seen in real life hundreds of times. Oh, what's that look like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've never studied it down to the last detail yeah until you have to sometimes i think about though because i'm aiming for a relatively realistic set for darkmoor but and darkmoor still like a gigantic set like the biggest set i've ever built and 
probably big, bigger than most people have ever built before. But if you think about it, it that's actually really small for a town square. <laughs> that's really small for a town square. There's barely anything in there. Yeah, I actually really like your um, the set design in Wife of Darkmoor. I kind of felt like a lot of the scenes, it kind of felt like... Uh, the sets probably weren't actually that big. I'm not sure, like, because, like, you know, you were kind of filming quite close, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, it's like sort of a deliberate choice because I built the giant set and then I realized just while I was filming, it's just like, I'm not actually showing this very often. And I thought about sometimes everyone's not bringing it out, but it was, I didn't really need to because it's been established in other shots. And I felt like, I think it's good because it makes You Are the Stranger feel a little bit trapped in a way because the shots are very close to her. And can't really see a lot and that's kind of how she feels yeah but yeah i, I guess i don't know is there anything else you guys want to say we've we've uh had quite a good chat yeah i suppose one thing to add that i've just thought about is that another good pick for this would have been totentans i was Ghost. thinking about that actually yeah so that's just another quick suggestion for a big film to watch if people haven't seen that another suggestion that's sort of considered before landing on Konglu was um this one british film by NXT Maniac. Uh, Possessed, that's what it's called. It's kind of horrorish. It's in this medieval town, and there's like this weird monster. Hmm. It was pretty popular when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unlisted now. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at my phrases. Why is it unlisted? This is a really well done thing for the time. The um, low light scenes in it are a bit weird looking, like they have this kind of strange edges on things, because they're artificially boosted or something, but the animation is still pretty cool. Um, lots of nice things about it. Um, actually, one of the um, one of the big films I had considered talking about was um, Good Company. Actually, uh, I think because uh, I mentioned it earlier, and I actually was sort of go- going to kind of like mention anyway that um, well, in, if if I was going to pick that, that about not really liking it the first time I saw it, because um, yeah, I think it's uh, it is definitely an interesting one to watch, but definitely one that you should watch a couple of times. Yeah, I'd actually considered picking good companies but then i decided it's more of a thriller than yeah. a horror film uh, even though it has horror i think that's kind of like one of the mm. one of the issues i had with the film like when i f- first couple times i saw it was that it was being referred to as a horror book film and i really didn't think it was it qualified really as a horror film sometimes the way you classify things really um changes things some from your impression of them how you view them um, an example i think of that all the time is um just in the advertising for this movie uh, I can't remember the movie's name right now. I can't. I really can't. And that annoys me. But I hated it. Um, <laughs> because the advertising shows a few shots of this sort of fairy tale looking world and such. And I love fairy tale type things. I'm a really big fan of that type of thing. Like a big castle and a lot of magical creatures. And I watched the film and it takes place mostly in real life. And that's like one shot of the film that it shows. Like maybe one or two shots it shows. That. And those are just the ones in the trailer. Um, and I was really disappointed about that. And it's actually really sad. And uh, a kid dies oh, in it. I actually know what it is. Bridge to Herbithia, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. And so it's hard to judge that because I just saw it and it's, you know, it wanted to watch a fairy tale. But I saw that and it's like, I hated that. I don't want to yeah. a fairy tale. Yeah, they, they advertise it's a fairy tale. But like the kids have like these kind of like, it's basically just like them pretending that they're in this, this like fairy tale world. Yeah, it's more just about you know being a kid and like you know drama and such. Um, yeah. And real. You know, it sort of is made for a kid in a way, but it's, but you know one of the more heavy things for kids. 
I don't know. It, it kind of feels like one of this sort of a, a trope of those kind of films that you know the kid dies kind yeah, of thing. The thing is though, that advertising it worked on me yeah. because I like watching that type of film. But the thing is though, it just made me annoyed when I walked out of it because I didn't want to see that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, I, I, the way that you kind of like sell a film can really um, make or break it. I think, and uh, we can kind of like um, mm. yeah. I think a lot of a lot of. Uh, like studios don't really know how to advertise their own films. I've always thought this of like I think Disney are te- uh, like a terrible at advertising their animated films, like Pixar and stuff. Yeah, advertising is really. Sometimes I actually think about it because like you know I'm sort of advertising things when I post frames of it on my Twitter or on Bricks in Motion. Yeah. Back in the day or videos, and I always really wanted to make a trailer for a while, too. And I was always afraid that I would share too much of it because you don't want to share it. but i think i sort of hit the right marks i think there are some frames and some facts about it. maybe i shouldn't have shared it because they're a bit cool looking but i tried really hard and it's been so hard keeping the secret for so many years i never told anyone outside of people working on the film and such and my family that the town is called welcome to darkmore and that <laughs> their names are the darkmore names and sleep i never revealed sleep um when you when you're sort of uh, making something but she's something like that. I mean, I, I could never imagine, like, actually working on something for five years. But, like, well, when you work on something for a really long time, you it's just, there's such a temptation to just share, like, what you've done and your, your progress and stuff. But it's like... Yeah. That was something I was trying to do with Red Order. I still ended up sharing, like, two or three frames from it. Yeah. Um, because it's hard to resist. It's like when, you, when you've got something that's, like, so cool and it's, like, it's, like, one of the best things you've ever done. You just think, yeah. I, I really want people to know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something I really want is I want, I'm hoping that when Red Order comes out, not many people will know what's going to happen at all, or even what the film totally looks like, or who the characters are in it when it comes out, and then they're going to um, find out what happens in it, and what's happening. Hopefully, sort of did spoil a little bit earlier, because I said I was based on Far Colorful Kongli, or inspired by it, so whoopsie. That. <laughs> well, that could mean many things yeah it could mean many things but yeah i suppose the best thing to do now would just be to not talk yeah. about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean maybe you're kind of like you know just misleading us all and actually it's nothing to do with <laughs> <laughs> no i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that like the worst i've done in that regard is called um welcome to darkmore darkmore but technically i'm just shortening darkmore well shortening welcome to darkmore that's always how i think about it when i'm writing I never lie about the th- things I'm doing, even to avoid spoilers. Um, it's never said in dialogue, um, because I don't want the dialogue to be too long, but I think that if I'd actually considered having a thing, it was never even written in the script just because I knew I didn't want to put it in because it would be too long and I would have to cut it out anyway, or just be awkward. And I wanted to have You're the Stranger say something about, to, I am Stephen Cobb about saying something like, uh, can I just call you Stephen or Stephen Cobb? And then have them say, no. <laughs> it's never said in the script, because it never happens, but they would really hate it if somebody shortened their name, called them by an acronym. I actually use acronyms for them a lot, like in the files and such, because I don't want to type the whole thing out every time. Yeah. In my um, sort of joke entry for Brawl or something, I um, made Welcome to Dank Memes, which was sort of parody little video. I was making really fun to make that one. And I made I made a proper entry too, and I made that within the last hour of the contest. And I was planning originally on having them say, you come to the town of Darkmoor or something like that. 
because you know it's a parody of the original. And somehow while recording it, I accidentally said, "You have come to welcome to Darkmore," and I was really worried <laughs> because like I can't finish it now. I have to delete this. I have to throw it away. And then I realized it's a joke film, so I might actually be able to get away with this. And I think I did because I think everyone thought it was a joke video. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> I still wish I hadn't. Yeah, I don't think anyone noticed that actually. I think it was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone would have just assumed that was just a joke. Thought nothing more of it. <laughs> and um, the way he says, "You forgot your license plate at the end." You forgot your license plate is a reference to a single shot while she's driving away where the license plate isn't there, which I had only just animated before making that video. And I did decide not to reanimate because it was such a small error. I was still annoyed with myself, but I was thinking about that while I was doing it. So I was like, hey, let's <laughs> put the license plate here. <laughs> that was certainly a strange video to watch. <laughs> you know, it was like, it's a parody of a film that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> what are we supposed to make of this? <laughs> Yeah, that is, it is actually really weird. I think in a way I made that mostly for myself. I think that, yeah. yeah. Uh, oftentimes yourself is um, the person who's going to get the most yeah. enjoyment. And I thought that people, work, if so. they actually watched the film and then went back to it years later, they might watch it and think, I can see what this You know, it's funny. Um, I actually, I think it was Brawl last year, I made um, a film where it, it was primarily set in a restaurant. And I actually built the restaurant, or at least the base for the, of the restaurant, for Batman Episode Six, and um, I uh, kind of just like changed. I changed the colours and just made it look slightly different. Um, but it's kind of funny because that restaurant is basically the same setup as the as the one in Batman Episode Six, and it, it's by the time I've actually released that film, it's probably going to be about two years after the Brawl film. So that's going to be very, quite weird. <laughs> <laughs> there is a small little restaurant in um, Mailbox of Doom and it's beige and for um, Pirate's Rule I was setting up the set for the um, English port and I thought that little building would actually fit kind of well here but it was beige and not white so I basically reused it but I built it in another color but it's actually brick by brick basically <laughs> the same building. <laughs> Which is kind of weird to brick by built, brick built the same building, but I didn't have to, you know, design anything new, really. Um, just build it in a different color. It was, which is kind of weird, because I, in some other things, that might be really easy. Like, you just use the field tool on something if it's a, a background or a cartoon. Or it's a digital model, you can just change the yeah. texture. But I just, you know, physically rebuild the whole thing, but exactly the so same. It's actually, I actually, um, four or five years ago, I just built this, like, small... Uh, pizzeria out of Lego and um, I, it, you know mm-hmm. I, I used like black ye- uh, yellow and red uh, bricks as like a it's like a stripy wall and um, that sounds really ugly <laughs> yeah and I, I was using it for like I, I just I just made it just 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 out of boredom and um, for some reason I just thought oh yeah actually I could I could just use this in a, in the background of the film just to fill in like just like um, yeah just to fill just to fill in the street and I've actually used it in like six or seven of my films now, and I, I actually have used it um, quite recently. Actually, I just keep using it. <laughs> oh wait, that's actually basically the same thing that happened with the archway that's in my film. That was just something I built for Bow Rock Attack to be in the background, or maybe even an earlier film. And it's just a prop I built, or just, yeah, you know, set decoration. And I really like it because it takes advantage of that weird, weird mathematical thing where you can put something 
sort of diagonal. It's not completely diagonal. It's at this weird angle of bricks, and it lines up perfectly. And you can just snap it like that, and it's really great. And I thought it would be really cool to, because you can do that with just you know an arch piece. So I thought let's put some things under it, and I just really like it. And so I just put it everywhere. <laughs> and then I started making it a point since it's been in all of my films to make it always appear in all of my films, just because I like the shape of it. There is actually a classic painting I found once, and I really wish I had saved a picture of this. And it has the archway in it. it. It's got basically the same shape. It's also really tall. It's also slightly at an angle. And it's really, really weird. And I wish... I, I really want to find that painting again so I can share it with people. I saw, like, a friend took a picture of it in a museum somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I guess... Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's a, about a good time to, to wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really good chat. Thank you. Yes. Glad Thanks for coming here. on. And of course, congratulations on releasing the film. Yes, yeah. Goodbye, guys. Thanks for it. Bye. Bye.